This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, a special program focusing on Guatemala. In a few weeks, Guatemala will inaugurate a new president, the first former general to ascend to the presidency since the country's civil war. We'll have two in-depth interviews looking at the challenges the new president, Otto Perez Molina, will face in 2012. And we'll also discuss issues to watch when a far right-wing government returns to power. But first, Vanessa Jesus Gonzalez has this week's roundup of news from around Latin America. Peruvian President Ollanta Humala replaced more than half his cabinet Sunday in an unexpected staff shakeup. His Prime Minister, Salomon Lerner, resigned Saturday in a move widely interpreted as signaling less tolerance for social protests. Lerner is a businessman who was the most powerful centrist in the government and helped Umala shed his left-wing image to win the election in June. The new cabinet chief, Oscar Valdez, taught Umala at Peru's military academy in the 1980s and has advocated a hard line against protesters who oppose the country's biggest mining project. He spoke to the media to assure the nation. There is no crisis. What's happening is a readjustment as it has always been done. The president has the ability to make some changes, but there is no crisis. Analysts worry how the government will handle the protests because Valdez is seen as one of the most authoritarian voices of the Humala administration. A coalition of human rights groups calls police force in central Mexico excessive and says that about 40 protesters are missing. Prosecutors found an AK-47 assault rifle, hand grenades, and gasoline bombs at the scene of a protest on Tuesday. The demonstration resulted in the death of two students after a violent clash between student demonstrators and police. The attorney general of the central state of Guerrero says he believes there were outside elements involved in the protest who were not students at the rural teachers' college where the demonstration started. A judge in Mexico sentenced five former military officers to 25 years of prison for organized crime activities. The Mexican government penalized Humberto Solís, Alberto Cortina, Francisco Jesús Pérez, Humberto Ramírez, and Ricardo Ramírez. The Mexican court determined that they shared strategic military information with one of the leaders of the Beltrán Leyva cartel, gang that split from the Sinaloa cartel in 2008. 18 Cubans headed towards the U.S. arrived in Honduras after spending 10 days at sea. Honduran immigration spokesman says the Cubans arrived on the island of Guanaja in the Caribbean on Tuesday and that they left Cuba on December 4th. More than 1,200 Cubans have arrived in Honduras under similar circumstances over the last five years. Authorities often extend 15 or 30 days humanitarian visas to the immigrants. Many of them continue their illegal journey, often to the U.S., Cuba and Honduras re-established diplomatic ties in 2001 after nearly a 40-year break. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. Thanks, Vanessa. Now our first in-depth interview this week. Looking forward to the inauguration of Guatemala's new president, Otto Perez Molina, in January. Our guest today is Kelsey Alford-Jones. 
the director of the U.S.-based Guatemala Human Rights Commission. Welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you. Maybe the best way for us to start is if you could tell us about the commission's work and your thoughts concerning the transition to power of the Patriotic Party. Of course. Um, the Guatemala Human Rights Commission is, a, as you said, a U.S.-based uh, humanitarian nonprofit that focuses on the monitoring and documentation of human rights violations in Guatemala and uh, the support of victims and survivors of human rights violations working towards positive systemic change in Guatemala. And we do a lot of education and awareness raising here in the United States about issues of human rights in Guatemala, as well as advocacy with the U.S. government and international bodies pushing for um, improved policies and the prioritization of human rights um, in Guatemala. And so why would the U.S. populace really need to be concerned or or care so much about this new administration, the Perez Molina administration? Well, as many of your listeners know, uh, the U.S. Um, backed and um, carried out, uh, with the help of the CIA, a coup against the democratically elected government of Guatemala in 1954. And over the course of the next um, four decades, supported, trained, and funded the Guatemalan military um, throughout the internal conflict, a military and a government which carried out atrocities against its civilian population, um, acts which have constituted genocide, according to the United Nations. Um, the U.S. support um, of that time period, the support of military, the training of um, those who went out and tortured and killed and forcibly disappeared, thousands upon thousands of Guatemalans, um, is extremely pertinent to the U.S. Um, today because we're seeing a return to the militarization um, and the criminalization and the security mentality um, that reigned during the internal conflict. And as you mentioned, the Patriot Party that's coming into power in January is composed of many high-level military and former military who were active during the internal conflict and who have strong relations with the United States. Um, some of them are School of the Americas graduates. Um, many of them, or a couple of them, have been um, on CIA payroll in the past. And as U.S. citizens, we need to be very careful and we need to hold our own government accountable to ensure that we don't continue to fund and support um, atrocities against the Guatemalan people. Are there real concerns that atrocities are in the future of Guatemala and not just in the past? There are, and those types of atrocities are in fact ongoing. And I think one of the least understood aspects of Guatemala is why after the signing of the peace accords, almost exactly 15 years ago, the nation is not at peace. And if you ask any Guatemalan, um, they'll, they feel like they're still living in wartime. And when you look at the numbers of violent deaths of Guatemalans on a daily basis. It is as high or higher as it was during the internal conflict. And when you look at citizen security and issues of corruption and impunity, it's just as bad or worse as it was during the internal conflict. And uh, the peace accords that were created um, in the early 90s and signed in 1996 that tried to create um, a kind of reconciliation between parties in Guatemala and tried to create a framework to address the deep and systemic issues in Guatemala, which have led to deep marginalization of indigenous communities, racism, and, and income inequalities, those accords have not been implemented. And 
And so it's a time in which not only have the the problems that came about during the internal conflict not have not been resolved, but also the the corruption and the military hierarchies and the parallel structures and the clandestine organizations continue to act with impunity, continue to carry out um, you know, extrajudicial executions, forced disappearances, extortion, um, assassinations, and they do so with the implicit support of the Guatemalan government, and they do so with total impunity. And so those atrocities continue, and we foresee that in the coming years, um, because of the mentality of the Patriot Party and the members of his cabinet that he has named, um, the focus will be on security, the focus will be on fighting organized crime, and to do that, the um, the next president, Otto Perez Molina, has um, prioritized the use of Guatemala's special forces in carrying out citizen security operations. Those will be the Caviles? The Caviles. And the Caviles is an institution which is um, perhaps comparable to the U.S. Uh, Green Berets or the Navy SEALs. I mean, it's the elite special forces in Guatemala. And maybe one out of every 10 Guatemalan soldiers who go through the Caivil school graduate. It's a very intense program. And the Caiviles, during the internal conflict, were responsible for many of the massacres against indigenous communities. And one of the most high profile recently, probably in the international community, was the massacre of Las Dos Erres in the Petén. And that's well known for... And that's the north of Guatemala, for those who don't know Guatemala's geography. Exactly. Um, the northern rainforest region kind of sticking up into Mexico. And the massacre in Dos Erres was a particularly horrific one in which um, about 201 Guatemalan civilians were murdered and their bodies were thrown down into a well. And the few survivors from that massacre um, who lived to tell the tale uh, were so traumatized by that that it was only recently um, that they, in the last decade, I would say, that they have begin to, begun to talk about that story. And there was a series of exhumations that were done. And just this summer, in July of 2011, um, almost 30 years after the massacre, there was finally a trial in Guatemalan courts, which was a, a um, kind of amazing and precedent-setting case in which the judges ruled um, that four former Caiviles were guilty of carrying out the massacre, and there are many others. There are about 17 total Caiviles who were involved in the case, but in this particular trial, only four were being accused, and they were each charged with 6,060 years in jail, so 30 years for each victim, uh, which is obviously a, a symbolic sentence, but a really important one for Guatemala. And, and those former Caiviles, who will now be in jail um, for quite a while, um, were trained and were products of the same institution that is now um, being used in, you know, increasingly will be used in uh, citizen security initiatives. So is there a concern then that this judicial process to try to bring real peace to, to Guatemala, that that process is going to halt with the new administration? Yes, there is concern. Um, one of the big concerns is um, with the Attorney General, Claudia Pasipas. Claudia came, she's just finished her first year as the Attorney General. She comes from a civil society background, a, a strong supporter of human rights initiatives, and it's in good part because of her political will 
that many of these cases from the internal conflict, the Doceres case, the genocide case, the Plan de Sanchez case, the Bamaka case, all of these kind of paradigmatic human rights cases have actually been advancing um, in Guatemalan courts because of the political will that has been generated by her presence at the at the helm of the public prosecutor's office. And with the current admin, the, the administration coming into office this coming January, there is a lot of fear that the there will not be either the political space um, or the collaboration with the, the public prosecutor's office to allow them to prioritize the investigations on into these paradigmatic cases, many of which um, point out members of Otto Perez Molina's administration as being either the material or intellectual authors of the crimes. And so, for example, um, in the Bamaka case, which is the case of the forced disappearance, the torture, and the murder of an indigenous leader um, named Everardo Bamaka, and his wife is a, a U.S. lawyer, Jennifer Harbury, who's been pushing the case for the last 20 years. And in that case, um, there's a man who's named um, Ansueto Giron, who was just named by Otto Perez Molina as the Minister of Defense. And so it is inconceivable, for example, that a case which names the Minister of Defense um, as one of the key, uh, you know, guilty members of the military as an intellectual author of his his torture and an assassination um, would really move forward under the current administration. And there has been a lot of concern that Otto Perez Molina will try and push Claudia Paz out of office, although he has publicly stated he will not do that. But the the issue of whether she will have the support and the independence to continue work on these important cases is really the question. And looking at um, who have been named as cabinet members, such as the Minister of Defense, um, who's named in one of these cases, it's um, it's highly problematic and really concerning for human rights organizations. We have a short amount of time, but in listening to this interview, I'm, um, it, it sounds to me that you're very cautionary and somewhat depressed about this new administration coming forward. Do we see any solutions? Um, is there any any outside force, uh, obviously the UN uh, and the Special Rapporteur on on um, human rights. Uh, Frank LaRue has a long background in human rights community in, in Guatemala. Are there any multilateral or other forces that can come to bear here to um, stop Guatemala from going backward? It was what, that's what I'm hearing in your interview, that Guatemala is going backward. Yeah, I, that's a, a perfect summary. It really feels like Guatemala has come full circle. And, and just to quickly list a few people, other than Otto Perez Molina, who himself is a former Caivil and former general and former head of military intelligence, a former perhaps member of the CIA payroll and graduate of the School of the Americas, the Minister of the Interior is also a former Caivil, um, and the Minister of the Interior in Guatemala um, controls basically the equivalent of the FBI, the, the police, um, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He's an incredibly powerful figure. He was also Otto Perez Molina's right-hand man during the internal conflict. Um, as I mentioned, the Minister of Defense is a former Caivil and named in one of these paradigmatic human rights cases. Many members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the military are, are uh, of this um, cut from the same cloth. And so what we see is that the U.S. government, in its prioritization of security and fighting the, the war on drugs, has been collaborating and really um, working with members of the Guatemalan military, 
um, and has not come out strongly against policies of remilitarization. And again, this is all kind of under the auspices of providing security in the fight against organized crime. But there has not been much political will from the United States or from the international community to really um, denounce this kind of return to repressive policies from the 1980s. And instead, there has been a, a push to provide more funding for security, more funding for the military. So I think the situation is very grim, but that's really where civil society comes in here in the United States, where we need to hold our government accountable. We need to push for a prioritization of policies that fund human rights, that fund prevention, that fund consultations with civil society. And we need to maintain the military ban on the on the Guatemala uh, military to ensure that we don't increase our funding and increase our support for a military that we um, are ex really concerned will begin to be um, involved in human rights violations throughout Guatemala, particularly in indigenous communities. So it really, uh, I think, will fall to the U.S. public to hold our government accountable, at least in the ways that we can help as a, as a national government. As far as the U.N. and European Union, um, it, it's, an, it's an uphill battle. Um, and I think another really important group of institutions that we need to look at are the financial institutions, the lending institutions, Inter-American Development Bank, the World Bank, organizations who are providing the loans and the funding for a lot of the security policies and who are um, also not uh, perhaps doing a, a close evaluation of what the impacts of that militarization will be on Guatemala's most marginalized communities. Well, with that, that's all the time we have. Um, perhaps we'll have more time at a later date for more of these topics. But thank you for joining us today, Kelsey Alford-Jones, the director of the Guatemala Human Rights Commission. Thank you. Thank you. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination, and domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. And now we have selections from a pre-recorded interview with Ricardo Barrientos. Barrientos is a former vice minister of finance for the Guatemalan government and currently He's an economist with the Central American Institute of Fiscal Studies in Guatemala. Barrientos shared his views with us during his last visit to Washington, D.C. If you see uh, what is going on in Latin America, uh, you will find that uh, the, this hemisphere and the, the Latin American countries are not poor countries. They are very, very uh, wealth countries in a whole, um, but... But when you can start to, to, to see the numbers and the indicators, they have very strong uh, economic foundations, macroeconomic results, but extremely poor social results and indicators. Uh, in, the, in, in the whole continent, Central America is the region that has m uh, much, much uh, troubles. Uh, we have, for example, in Guatemala, an extremely bad problem Half of the Guatemalan children uh, suffers from some form of chronic malnutrition. 
this is not easy to, to, to figure out, try to, to figure out that half of the population, the children population, is, uh, doesn't have enough access to food and to cover their nutritional requirements. This is a big problem, but uh, from, the, uh, from the other point of view, uh, in Guatemala, the average education is only four years per person. So if we want to, to, to compete with other economies and other societies, only with four years of, the, of education, that is a problem. And uh, being a, a country with enough resources in order to cover these, these, these problems, inequality is, is the, racing ex the main racing explanation. And inequality is because somebody has too much power to concentrate almost everything leaving the old majority without almost nothing. Let me ask about some about Guatemala's history. Some would say that Guatemala is the classic banana republic, and I know that people in Central America hate that term, but in, in a sense it's a plantation economy, and it grew out of a history of a plantation economy. And we see that, and we also see the issue more so in Guatemala than anywhere else in Central America of inequalities between the white or Ladino population and the indigenous population. So can you speak to us about those particular problems? They're historic, they're racial, how do you solve them? Well, uh, yes, it dates back to the, to the times when the Spanish came to this continent and, and, and conquest uh, the indigenous people. So they they mounted um, a model of a, a exploitation of the of the land and the people of that they found. This has been happening for centuries. So when the uh, Central American countries uh, make themselves independent from Spain, uh, there were not radical changes, as for example in the U.S. that the new power, the independent power, started to to make uh, reforms and change the, the ways uh, of, of, of making production and relationship between people. So in our case, um, the Spanish rulers were replaced for uh, 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 the, this group of we call criollos, that this is the, the, this, the, the social sector that were of uh, Spanish blood. So they keep uh, the, the, the Spanish ways of doing things. And during the 12th century, this had been happening uh, in a model of, pro of agro-production uh, uh, with extremely low cost uh, of, the, of the low uh, uh, wages for the indigenous people in the fields. But more recently, uh, what is going on, that, f for example, in globalization, uh, in countries like El Salvador, uh, elites have been uh, uh, in a process of reinventing themselves. They are, they are uh, changing the ways that these elites uh, uh, exercise power. But, for example, in Guatemala, uh, it's an uh, example of uh, an extremely conservative elite that don't, not even in the middle of globalization they want to change. And in emerging elites... The new elites uh, uh, um, are not changing the traditional ones, are being transforming themselves in a part of the traditional elite 
uh, a, a thing that is not going on in El Salvador. For example, the financial sector in El Salvador uh, diversalized and, and become quite, quite internationalized. In Guatemala, the financial sector is, team, is very conservative and, uh, and very closed. And uh, this is uh, the same for the way of thinking. Their, their, their political views of the world. They are very afraid. They, they keep seeing communists even in the soup. One of the things, one of the great exports of both countries, unfortunately, is, is people. That, that workers from Guatemala, from Salvador, come to the States or go elsewhere to find work. It's one of the great exports of the region. Uh, and likely part of the inequality, wouldn't you say? Of course, of course, yes. Um, it, it dates back to the 50s when the, uh, our, our countries started to, to, to experience an uh, exponential demographic growth. Um, part of the lack of education and, and, and the idea of uh, uh, letting indigenous people to reproduce like a workforce without any intelligence, just arms for work. Brazo para trabajar is, is, is said in, in Spanish. But this started to, to generate uh, a young, extremely young population with almost no opportunity. No opportunity. So um, the, during the war, the options were die, maybe the first and main, the second being a slave, or flee, flee to another country, main Mexico. And uh, many of them managed to get into, into the States. You're an economist. You work at an institute dealing with fiscal studies. And you've been part of the Cologne administration, which has tried in a limited way to try to deal with some of these inequities. Do you have solutions that you propose? What reforms would you have the Guatemalan elite um, take on? as part of modernization, as part of globalization? I strongly believe that the main reform is to recover people's confidence in the state. Because civil society uh, doesn't have confidence in nobody. Even people doesn't have any confidence on the, um, uh, uh, on the union forces or civil society NGOs that used to be an ally during the war. So people is, is like alone. They are hoping for some kind of messiah in order to, to fix the thing. Because this is a long history in Guatemala. This is a long history in Guatemala. It's a long Centuries. and sad history. Yes. And, uh, and, and you know, um, the state must demonstrate that it is able to do something in a good way. Because what people remember from the state, first, the, the army was the state, and the army what, uh, what used to do in, in, the, in the villages, kill people. Now, what does the state do? Is to take the, the, the people's resources and, 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 and do bad things on it. Corruption, for, for example. Yeah, so you're saying what tax money is collected isn't necessarily always going to the right place. That is the perception. Uh, the budget in Guatemala is, is a midget budget. I mean, 14%. Uh, what a, a government can do with 14% of GDP uh, of, of public expending? There is nothing. But people uh, uh, don't want to support 
a better, uh, a more resources for state because it don't, it, they, they don't trust the government. But in an extreme way, because it, it happens in every country, but in an extreme way. So for those who wonder about trust and confidence in the United States, I guess the message is what you're telling us is it can be worse. Of course. We have been following the, the, the ongoing debate here in the U.S. about the debt, about the, the proposals of uh, President Obama. And we laughed because, okay, those Americans, those gringos, we say, they have the same problem uh, like us. So things are getting worse in the U.S. They are starting to like like Guatemala. Oh, poor, poor Americans. <laughs> it's, well, with that, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse. Ricardo Barrientos, an economist with the Central American Institute of Fiscal Studies, ICEFI. Thank you again for joining us. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros, gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs>